I'm Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. With interviews, discussions, stories, and advice from a range of brewers and craft beer professionals, the Hot Forward Podcast is here to help you and your beer business hot rocket your way to success. Visit our website at hotforward.beer to find out more. Grab yourself a beer as we crack open another fresh episode of the Hot Forward Podcast. Hello, brewers and beer professionals, and welcome to another sesh on the Hot Forward Podcast. What is the essence of the pub? This is a question I've been mulling over this past week as I've thought about what actually makes the pub an intrinsic part of the British landscape. Why, for countless people, is there a deep resonance with the experience? Or to put it another way, what is the thing that's in the air when you go to the pub? British pubs have a rich and colourful history that stretches back centuries. The concept of a public house actually originated in ancient Rome and was brought to Britain during the Roman occupation. However, modern British pub culture as we know it today in Britain began to take shape during the medieval period. In the Middle Ages, pubs served as communal gathering places where people could socialise, share news and enjoy a drink, which, given that war wasn't exactly safe to consume back then, was less likely to kill you. They were often located along major travelling routes and in market towns, catering to locals, travellers and traders alike. Pubs played a crucial role in providing substance and accommodation to weary travellers and served as meeting places for various communities. During the 16th and 17th centuries, pubs gradually became more regulated and began to resemble the establishments that we know and love today. Alehouses and taverns were common, serving beers and spirits, though ales back then lacked the addition of hops and were aimed at the lower classes, while spirits were very much considered a luxury item, typically enjoyed by the wealthiest segments of society. There'd be no chance of getting a hazy IPA from the bar back then. Many pubs started brewing their own beers on sites, and these brew pubs played a significant role in the development of British brewing traditions. In the 19th century, the pub culture underwent further transformation due to the Industrial Revolution. As urbanisation and industrialisation accelerated, working class communities grew and pubs became central hubs for socialising and leisure activities, an all-in-one service for everything from the cradle to the grave. And for the working classes who worked long, gruelling hours six days a week, they offered respite from the harsh working conditions and served as places for workers to relax, chill out and form communities. Incidentally, many pubs were actually owned by wealthy factory employers and thus the flow of money was kept within their own ecosystem and pockets. As you can imagine, at the turn and throughout the 20th century, pubs faced all kinds of challenges such as two world wars, changes in drinking habits, a plethora of government regulations and a limited choice of beers on account of the big six brewers. Despite the cultural upheavals of the 20th century, pub culture remained resilient. Pubs served 
as important community spaces, especially in smaller towns and villages where they were often the heart of social life. While the number of pubs in Britain has declined in recent years due to a variety of factors, including changes in consumer preferences, economic challenges, etc., pubs have remained an integral part of British culture in the hearts of locals, visitors and tourists alike. And there you have a brief history of the British public house. I find the history of pubs fascinating. Think of all the stories that have been told over the decades, centuries in some cases, in the pub. If these four walls could talk, imagine the yarns they'd recount. The makeups, the breakups, the characters who have come and gone, leaving nothing behind but their echo, possibly a newspaper, and the contours of their buttocks in a familiar seat. One historic pub for me springs to mind. Ye old trip to Jerusalem in Nottingham. As one of England's most ancient inns, this establishment is nestled beneath the cliff where Nottingham's historic castle proudly stands. Its rich history connects it to the Crusader knights who often sought respite within its walls. Legend suggests that King Richard the Lionheart and his men gathered at this remarkable location before embarking on their journey to Jerusalem in 1189 AD. That's a long time ago. <laughs> For me, however, it stands out because of a beer delivery I once made there. Having been told about the pub by my friend and colleague Paddy, I tentatively opened the door to the beer cellar, only to discover it wasn't a cellar at all. I said, a cave? A cave! Every pub should have a cave. Beneath the pub lies a network of cave cellars that delve deep into the sandstone cliff. Like many of Nottingham's caves, of which there are over 800, these cellars have served as ale storages for centuries. Another pub I haven't had the pleasure of visiting yet is, amongst other things, the topic and subject of today's discussion with Kelly and Bob from Bristol's Good Chemistry Brewing. In a building that dates back to the 17th century, the King's Head has undergone many a transformation in its rich and long history. The interior was renovated in the mid-19th century, with the bar counter itself, also from around 1865, still stretching gracefully into the space today. During the 1970s, the King's Head faced the imminent threat of redevelopment in its surrounding area. However, thanks to the devoted regulars who rallied together, signing a petition and securing its statutory listing, both the pub and its rare interior were saved from oblivion. A testament to the enduring spirit of this place and the dedication of those who cherished its unique character. And after many years under pubco ownership, the opportunity arose for the King's Head to be acquired and restored to its former free house glory by the team at Good Chemistry, who now, like a link in a very long chain, serve a range of delicious pastels, including their own at the pub situated on Victoria Street. So what does it take to run an historic pub? to bear the mantle of the centuries gone by. What does the future hold for pubs and Cascale in a struggling market? 
These are some of the questions myself, Kelly and Bob tackle as we sat down over a drink at Ciba BRX earlier this year. So don't go anywhere as we'll be back in just a brief moment to chat about all this and more after this short message. Cheers. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website, hotforward.beer, to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding, creative media, and business consultancy for breweries, bars, bottle shops, and supply chain businesses. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. We're at BRX this week and I'm joined by Bob and Kelly from Good Chemistry. Hi. Hello. I'm from Bristol. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Congratulations no. oh. on your award win. Thank yesterday. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and by now, when people hear this, it'll be so milk. So old like, news. All right, see, so old news, whatever. It's like, you didn't win an Oscar, you didn't win a Grammy or a Brit Award, like, shut the hell up. But right now, it's fresh and it's big news. I will milk it for all that's Quite all right. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've been on the podcast together, haven't we, Kelly? I don't think we were on the one properly, no, no. no. So no. just for anyone that's not listened to the previous episode we recorded, can you just introduce yourselves say you are and where you're from and so on yeah of course so um my name's kelly and um with bob who's sitting next to me we run good chemistry brewing in bristol so we've been going now for um seven years we brew uh, all sorts of beers to cask and keg and now can which is a new thing on when we last spoke in 2020 i think we're about good chemistry in its broadest sense. So it's not just about beer and brewing, but it's about creating community and relationships around other things that, you know, that we're interested in, like, you know, food and music and science and the arts and social experiences, as well as, you know, beer and brewing. And we tend to kind of say that we brew beer for pubs, don't we? Yeah, I think enjoying beer in a pub is the best place to enjoy it, really. So, um, yeah, that's definitely where our focus lies. Um, that experience of drinking beer with friends, of the conversation that goes with it, the environment that you're in, um, and the beer being um, a part of that experience and not necessarily the focus of it. Yeah. Um, I'm quite interested, before we start talking about pubs and cast beer and all that sort of stuff, I'm quite interested when you just talked about science, then obviously the name, the, the clues in the name, good chemistry, but you often talk to brewers where you know, we talk often about um, our breweries focused on community or the arts or music and, you know, all those like artist type things, but you, you threw science in there. And I would love to know how within your pubs, um, you know, you incorporate that science element to put in any events that are aimed at people that are more in science. Like what's, what's the vibe there? I think it, it's about kind of, you know, the art and science of brewing. So we like to kind of talk about what you know what goes on in the brew house and in in the brewing of beer that i think sometimes some breweries don't you know so much focus on that but kind of breaking it down for um people who don't have maybe a science background or a brewing background to kind of understand but we've also done things like we've hosted pints of science in the brewery we've also done a series of events called think while you drink 
where we've had um, academics kind of come in and talk about their their research in in kind of beer and brewing and you know the drinks and the kind of the wider sphere and one of those think think while you drink events as well we had an academics evening and then we had a brewers evening so we had Stuart Howe and Johnny Mills come in and talk about aspects of the way that they brew and yeah and quite kind of different approaches yeah I so guess. Stuart Howe the inventor of Doombar right. um, he actually wrote the book on malt he writes the syllabus for the the IBD uh, exams on uh, the malt section so he came in and kind of gave us a preview of the the syllabus that he was writing so right. quite technical quite forthright in his views um, and then when you put that against Johnny's kind of more organic way of brewing kind of see what happens work with ingredients and temperatures in a more uh, in, environmental way yeah it's a really nice sort of juxtaposition yeah hate that word so yeah we kind of we, we do things like that yeah, yeah. that's amazing yeah. So I'm really interested to hear about your new pub. So before you took on the new pub, which I forgot the, the name of it, Head. the King's Head. Yeah. I knew it was the King something. <laughs> yes. King's so, Head, King's Arms. People get confused. It's the King's Head. Like the King's Head yeah. in Bristol. <laughs> you you, um, you have the good measure, and you still have the good measure, yeah. which is your little tap room, like my, micro pub. Is that? Um, it's a small ish, pub. Small yeah. tap so room. It kind of, it's, a, it's so the King's Head is in central Bristol, but the the good measure is more. Um, in a kind of residential area in North Bristol, so yeah. I think micro pub comes with a, a lot of baggage. Uh, yeah, so well, yeah. We would say a kind of a small community community pub. Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting because in Sheffield, micro pubs are really generally quite good. You know, they are they're like there are some absolutely banging micro pubs. But whenever I go anywhere else, I use the word micro pub. It's like. Did he just say that? Like micro pubs <laughs> are good. Are, there yeah. are good micro pubs in Bristol, right. very much so. But ours, we don't. Well, it doesn't really strictly adhere to what the you know micro pubs kind of tend to. Yeah. Be. Yeah, yeah. we're kind of a step away from the micro pubs code. Yeah. Uh, we allow people to look at their phones. There is music. So it's a micro pubs code. <laughs> oh yeah. You'd, you'd be surprised. <laughs> well, and people, and people going about Samuel Smith's not allowing mobile phones in their pubs. <laughs> well, the first micro pubs, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm interested, like how much of a difference since taking on the King's head, um, has that made to the brewery and your operations? The first sort of obvious impact is that we have that guaranteed sale. Yeah, there are taps it's in our premises. We control what beer goes on there. Um, it's not just a, a good chemistry tap room. We want to see a good amount of variety on the taps and keep it interesting for people who are coming in. But those are five or six taps that are brand new to Bristol mm. and that we have. Um, and so there's there's all of the volume that goes through that kind of adds on top of what we're selling, which is great. Yeah, but in sort of the wider aspects, it raises our profile hugely in Bristol because this is a pub which has been open for hundreds of years. Right. Okay. People in Bristol have been standing at the bar in the King's Head for hundreds of years through all the changes that have happened, all the wars and everything else. That's amazing. And now for a comparatively short time, it's going to be ours. Um, and we get to become part of that story. And as soon as you start talking about this new-ish, uh, Bristol Brewery taking it on, um, small Bristol Brewery, 
you then start putting that in terms of who's owned it before and other people's memories of being in there. We've had lots of people coming in saying, oh, I spent most of the 90s in here, or this was a place for our boozy lunches when we worked at the Evening Post. And all this kind of memories of people's um, lives over the past few decades um, gets brought up. But then also in terms of the history of Bristol, and it puts us as part of that history of Bristol and, um, yeah, just raises our profile as, yeah. as a part of the Bristol city centre scene. Oh, that's amazing. Pubs are, you know, pubs are so important, and that's a bit of a funny thing to say here at BRX. It's such an obvious thing, but pubs are hugely important to the, you know, the, the culture, the history, society of this country, and it's something that you don't get in the same way anywhere else. And so it's hugely important for us to protect that and ensure the kind of continuation of pubs and yeah and this is a pub that's kind of particularly special mm. to bristol you know we're here in liverpool now and we have spent the last couple of days and last year when we we're here as well wandering around and looking at these incredibly beautiful historic pubs here in liverpool my goodness and we don't have a lot of that in bristol and so to have this one um yeah, it's really important. It's and it and it's you know it's this very old building, but it's also listed inside as well. So it's got one of the oldest back bars in the country from 1865. The seating area is made up of an old tram car as right. well. So it's incredibly beautiful historic pub, which has been kind of neglected over the last couple of decades through being pub co-owned. And right. so for us to kind of, you know, bring it back and, and make it a pub for people of Bristol to be really proud of mm. and a kind of must visit for anybody who's coming to Bristol. Yep. So uh, how much effort as business owners then has it taken not only to get the pub up and running, but on a day-to-day -day level? Like how much effort do you have to expend on the pub versus the brewery? <laughs> A good question. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to say because we have a manager who runs right. that pub and he's great. And he's um, a, a character and a presence behind the bar. He does all of the ordering mm. um, and which he manages, doing. which absolutely, yeah. and he manages the staff as well. So the idea is that the pub will basically run itself. We talk to Colin, our manager, and he manages the pub. Obviously, it doesn't ever happen like that, and there's always things which we're having to get involved in. Um, but generally, we're quite light touch with it, um, and we want to empower Colin um, to to run the pub in the way that uh, he thinks it should be, because we've we know him, we've got faith in what he does, um, and we know he'll do it do it well. Because yeah. we already run a business; we can't run an entire new business at the same time. So. We are working towards this being a lighter touch for us. Yeah. But the King's Head has only been open, oh, maybe like four months to today that we're recording in the middle of March. So it's still a very new business. Mm. So, yeah, so there's still stuff that we're kind of working through. But, yeah, like Bob says, yeah. ultimately, eventually. <laughs> yeah. So in relation to cask and keg, um, how, what kind of split is there? So um, at the good measure, we've got four cast taps and eight keg. And at the king's head, we've got four cast taps and seven keg. Right. Mm -hmm. But the focus, especially at the king's head, is so much on the cask. It's been amazing to see 
kind of people coming in and really enjoying the kind of the the range of cask and the, the turnover of the beer. You know, we we um, packaged some pins, but we haven't. I don't think we've ever sent a pin to the king's no. head because they go through nines. Right. And you know, where the keg stays a fairly static range, cask is changing all the time. Right. And we're getting in, you know, loads of different breweries, loads of different beers, and people are coming in, and that's the focus. That's what they want to be drinking, which is brilliant. Right. So it's not just your cask beers on there so you, you yeah and you right. doing that through like beer swaps or you at least just buying the just casks buying here now? right okay yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean there's so many breweries around the country that make great cask beer um that we can't keep it all for ourselves so <laughs> yeah yeah and that's like the, the the pub is 10 minutes walk from the brewery um so it's a pub that we go to as well and we want to see different beer we don't just want to drink our own beer all the time so it's great when our manager talks about beers that he's got in from maybe he's got a uh, some Burning Sky in or um, Fine Buxton, Fine Ales. Ales. You know. Yeah, some great... Uh, owner on cask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we've had that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, also, the thing is, Colin says he doesn't put these things on social media because they go so quickly. Right. He's really worried about kind of putting something on social media and then people come along and it's already gone. Um, but yeah. I mean that's and that's part of the joy for us, isn't it? Because we get to try all yeah. of these beers that you know that from all of these other breweries that we get to bring in and put in yeah. on our own pub. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's it's really um, nice to be able to present cask in that way, as it being the focus of uh, innovation and new flavors, and that's the most exciting thing on the bar. Yeah, the the pub kind of because it's so historic, it does kind of encourage you to drink cask anyway it feels right mm. in that space but it doesn't have to be old-fashioned cask traditional styles um we've had yeah cask beer from some of the kind of newest and most hype breweries uh, and it's it's all flown out it's been really yep. great to see what do you think some of the biggest challenges to cask beer are at the moment i think the smaller independent breweries having to charge more for it and being undercut by some of the larger breweries charging very little is a is a big issue yeah the price differential between something which you would get in the supermarket and something which comes from a small independent mm. brewery can be quite large and it doesn't really encourage pubs to to try it out but i mean one of the biggest threats to cask beer is pubs it's pubs serving it badly keeping it badly not taking it off because they can't afford to lose money from throwing it down the drain basically yeah i just want to raise two points off the back of what you guys have just said firstly mm. uh, just going to that one about the the training um i'm always amazed at the lack of training and i understand why because you know it's like the publican or the bar manager generally that's more of a career job for those types of people so that they're, they're, they're going to be trained but for a lot of young bar staff that are in their early 20s they're in between you know years at university or whatever like the throughput of staff is so fast that you know they think oh it's not really worth training them mm. but i was saying to um dave and naomi from rp place earlier that a lot of breweries, the, the most simple thing, if, if people aren't going to get trained, which I, I think 
breweries should be training mm-hmm. um, staff or offer that as part of one of their services they offer in addition to selling beers. Um, but one of the, the, the least a brewery could do if, if that was the pump clip is on the reverse side, have a sticker that says what color it is, what aromas you're gonna get, what flavor, mm-hmm. what foods it might pair with and so on. So rather than it being like, oh, you know, have you got anything that's hoppy? Oh, we've got that yellow one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think the the wider industry is to blame for a lot of this as well. If you look at pubcos, like everyone wants to think the pubcos are evil, and obviously they are, but a lot of the problems that are coming to the front now are down to the kind of de-skilling of the industry. Pubcos, when they do a fit-out in the cellar, they don't put gauges on any of the um, regulators. They put them in, they set it to what it's supposed to be, and they tell people, don't touch it. Right. So when there's a problem, it, there's nothing they can do about it. They're just supposed to call out the cellar tech. So it means they don't understand anything which goes on in the cellar, and everything is just expected to be, we put it in the cellar, you plug it in, and it pours perfectly. And there's no sense of, well, I, as a uh, pub manager, as a publican, I have a role to play in how good the beer tastes when it comes out of the tap. Part of the beer that I'm serving, the product that I'm putting across the bar, that's my input. Um, it's brewed by someone else, but it's served by me. Um, and that kind of element of skill and craft has sort of gone out of that side of the industry. Yeah, definitely. The other point I was going to bring up was about pricing that you mentioned there, Kelly, how there is such a differentiation in pricing. I was just as you were saying about um, breweries undercutting other like big breweries. Um, I totally agree with that. But it also reminded me of a, a beer like Timothy Taylor's Landlord, which is actually really expensive for a cast beer. And I, I'm always amazed that, well, how, how is it they can charge so much for a cast beer and landlords are willing to pay? You know, it's over 110 pounds, 117 plus VAT or something. Like last time I heard, it might be more than that now. Um, but it's like, how, how can a big brewery like some potatoes? I'm not knocking them at all because you know, I, 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 having met some of the people there, they're good people. I like their beer, but this there is a real price di- differentiation on that end as well. Whereas, like, for a lot of the, I guess, the brewers in this room, it's like it's really hard when you say, oh, "I've got a 3.8 percent session." IPA and it's really like you know 12 grams per litre of dry hop and a landlord's like I'm paying that for a 3.8% beer it's like well why are you valuing it on the ABV <laughs> yeah it's a really difficult one so we've we've just brewed um, we're launching it tomorrow actually a light dinner ale um, a light dinner a ale light dinner ale well, yeah. like so we mm-hmm. saw um, one of our brewers saw a poster in a local pub in Bristol about light dinner ale and he was like, what's that then? We should brew one of those. So um, we've brewed it. It's 3.1%. It's all going into cask. It's basically an English table beer. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, and, and you know, you, you get to, well, how strong is it? Oh, I'm not paying that for that. And it's, you know, it's really hard. It does kind of, it, it does devalue it. And I think, yeah, the, the, the vast kind of range of pricing that you get in cask beer like you were just saying you know some of the bigger breweries are pricing really high and then some breweries are pricing really low and for the you know quote unquote craft breweries in the middle who are trying to produce good cask it's it's really hard yeah 
really hard. I don't know what the answer is. You know, I don't think any of us do. No. But it is a conversation that needs to continue to be being had, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason they can charge a lot is because a lot of it goes into tied pubs and the people have to buy it. So, yeah. You can push the price as high as you like. They're still going to have to buy it. Yeah, well, I remember uh, looking at the pricing for publicans when I was at Sheffield Brewery at um, like an enterprise inns mm. and seeing the amount of money they have to pay, you know, as opposed to what we are, we were charging. I was like, hang on a minute. Like, so we, we happen to pay it was about £57 a, a Birkin or whatever. Mm. You know, something like 3.8%. And the landlord's getting charged 110 quid. Like, yeah. It's not right, is there it? There's something wrong Yeah, there were two people out of this three-person party that are getting totally screwed here. <laughs> and they're the ones doing all the work. Exactly. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Yeah. So what, what else have you learned about uh, taking on the king's head? What have we learned? Right. Big questions on this podcast, yeah, Kelly. Really yeah, really yeah. It's happening all the big issues of the day. Yeah, I mean, there's there's just kind of loads of things that you kind of learn when you're doing a project, like kind of renovating a pub. Um, we, you know, this one was listed, so we had to kind of, um, you know, apply to the council for the changes that we wanted to make and stuff. And, you know, we've been quite sort of light touch with the changes that we've made. We couldn't obviously change any of the listed features, and nor would we want to, because yep. that's what, you know, makes the pub so beautiful. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... For us, it's just it's just really great to kind of have, you know, have the outlet where, you know, we can take people and, and show people our beer in its best light. And, and um, you know, people, I think people just really want to support, certainly in Bristol, and I hope this is the case, you know, around the country, but people really want to support small businesses, independent businesses, people having a go. And, and, and now in the case of the King's Head, you know, people who are, trying to um you know protect this this part of our heritage as mm. well you know this important piece of of bristolian history bristolian yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and i think it's kind of reinforced to us that the businesses that work best or the enterprises that work best are those that work with other businesses and become part of a community or create a community um and you can't there's no point for example, opening a pub and then fighting against all of your neighboring pubs for mm. business. Um, you want to work with them. We've got uh, the left-handed giant brew pub, massive brew pub showpiece in the center of Bristol, which is a fabulous place to go and drink craft beer. Uh, it's got a terrace in front of the water and everything. But it's a lot five of- five minutes from the pub, you know. Yes. Oh, less, yeah, two minutes walk away. Really um, nice. But a lot of the stuff, come to our pub after they finish their shift yep. because it's a complete change of scene and we'll go to uh, Left Hand Giant as well and it's that that combination of, of places um, where we're not saying you have to go to one place or you have to go to the other place, it's not Jets and Sharks it's about kind of creating this community and this space because that works uh, together yeah, yeah. I guess it comes down to like wherever the location of your pub is. So let's say you've got a suburban or a rural pub. Well, I'll take a, a suburban example because I'm more familiar with it. Like I'm more inclined to go to like the Raven Inn in Walkley or the Hampshire House, which is also Walkley-ish, common side technically, <laughs> which is the Thornbridge pub. 
and stay there for the night. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in a place like Liverpool, like I'm going to go to like the Grapes or Dead, and then on Dead Crafty, and then maybe to the Asvex. I'm well, just giving my uh, my beer X route, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I'm I'm going to visit these different places and and experience these different things. And I think there's something really great about that. That there's a sort of transitory nature, but I think the main thing is that you also have to pull those people back again and give them a, a good experience. Like it sounds like you're doing, you know, through the aesthetics of the place and the beer selection. And... Mm. Yeah, I hope so. I think if you're in the city centre, then you've just got to be a little bit humble about it and know that it's not all about you. Uh, people come to the city, and there's a lot going on in a city. So you can't hold on to people for the whole time. And in a place like the King's Head, it's too small anyway. Yeah. Um, so we want people to come in, have a couple of drinks, stay all evening if they want to, but also like enjoy a bit more of Bristol. Go and yeah. see, there are great other places that people should go and see mm. and then come back. Yep. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe just drink our beer and all the other pubs there <laughs> as well. Nice. So talk about your canning line. So when we last spoke, it was during lockdown. I think it was August 2020. Right. I think it was around the time we would have been celebrating our fifth birthday. Right. Yeah. Yes. And we were a month away then from getting our canning line. Right, because you, you, you made a conscious decision to go against the grain when everyone was using uh, mobile canners for health reasons so is that we, right we were using yeah we were using the mobile canners who you know come to the brewery set up their canning line in your brewery and can your beer and then go away again um, we've been using them since um the end of 2019 so not very mm-hmm. long and we had a slot booked with them at the end of march so just you know after we kind of entered lockdown and we decided to kind of cancel that uh that booking because you know we were we it was the very early stages of covid nobody really knew how it was transmitted or what happened or you know or how it worked and we had furloughed all of our staff you know we had no work for them to do we had very little in the way of cans to sell and bob and i were able to kind of deal with that so everybody was was safely at home and we felt that if we brought these mobile canners in then either Bob and I would have to work alongside them or we would have to ask our staff to come back in and and work alongside them. And, you know, the mobile canners were very busy at the time because everybody was packaging into um, small pack because it was the only beer they could sell. So they were going to different breweries kind of every day of the week. And it just wasn't really something that we felt comfortable with having them come into our brewery and work alongside us. We didn't want to have to ask our team to do it. I am asthmatic, so we were a bit concerned about, you know, about that. So we didn't really want to do it. So we, yeah, we decided not to work with them at that stage. So we we were shut for, yeah, March until I think um, sort of September when we got Mm. the canning line and started canning and then were able to kind of get going again. Maybe you know, yeah. maybe earlier than that. I think things opened up in July, didn't they? So we yeah, think yeah. we brought a few people back a bit in July to kind of deal with the small amount of um, draft sales then going out to pubs and stuff. Eat, eat while you... What's it called? What was it? Eat, eat, eat out, out, get eat out. out. <laughs> get eat out, yeah. 
so we were doing a bit then but yes then we got the canning line and then we've been kind of pushing through ever since haven't we and able to kind of can and go through the lockdowns and bring our our cans out to a much wider market and stuff so yeah i mean yeah, for us game changer really yeah absolute game changer uh in the second lockdown we actually had something to sell so uh we could kind of keep the business ticking over during that time i think there was a third lockdown so we also we had uh, a web shop built and we could um, send stuff out so yeah I mean it really kept the business going through that time um, and since then yeah we've had the product to sell to get into shops which can't exactly stock a keg of beer or a cask it's a great showcase uh, to have that shelf space to get mm. your brand out there um, and we've kind of built a really good um, relationship with customers who are buying direct from us online we're seeing the same people come back uh, right. which is great we've always tried to uh, make it quite a personal service they're not just buying a box from Amazon that we've kind of put some attention into the box that they're getting um, it's that, that will, unboxing experience the it? unboxing experience the unboxing that's experience. right have you come across any YouTube videos yet of anyone boxing uh... <laughs> <laughs> not, not unboxing hours no <laughs> no uh, but, but we'll put know, a card in yeah, and yeah. kind of use the person's name and talk to them if they've ordered from us before then uh, we'll reference that and use our names as well you know it's always been really important we're an incredibly small team there's only eight of us at the brewery and it's really important that people know who we are mm. and not just who you know me and bob are but the fact that um you know dan is the guy who you never see because he's the one behind the camera taking all of the pictures and these are our brewers dan and martin and you know liam is our drayman he's the best drayman in bristol and we tell everybody that because we want you know if you get it if you ha it's not sent to you by courier it'll be delivered by liam and he's the grumpy scotsman in shorts the whole year round um, well one of those who will, <laughs> who will you know bring your doorbell and leave the box on your doorstep and give you a wave as he leaves and we want people and then you know and then we have lauren and ruth as well we should definitely mention those two um but we want people to know you know to know who we are so we do you know we do write cards and we do sign our names on them and and yeah and and that's something that's really important to us because those customers are amazing you know they're they're the people who did keep us and you know all breweries like us going through through the lockdown because they came and they bought directly from us and they supported yeah. us that's really interesting like I've, I've to be honest i've never thought of it in that light before and maybe because we are such a an amazon based society where basically amazon just don't give a shit so you order something online from some faceless quote-unquote company which is probably just uh, an in-between for some kind of drop shipping where someone's trying to mm -hmm. make their millions or whatever and i'm not gonna go into all that um and then it gets delivered by somebody who really 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 doesn't give a shit <laughs> yeah. if you're lucky for it to turn up you yes know, like they throw it yeah, at your house yeah yeah. yeah, there's a funny video on um, that was doing the rounds on Instagram a while back of like um, the different couriers bringing your parcels. Like, you know, um, Royal Mail would come and knock and they'd wait about five minutes and they'd knock again and then they'd put a thing for your door. Then it just get, goes all the way down progressively through like um, DPD. And then it ends up at My Hermes where yeah. they literally <laughs> fling it at the door, stamp on the box and then throw a bucket of water on it and go. <laughs> and then take it away and say they couldn't find yeah, your yeah, door anyway. Exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, that, that person, because we, we often, I think, 
just have that mindset of like, oh, it's a web order, get out, bam, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And yet you would never, ever, ever treat a landlord like that. Yeah, these are customers, these are direct customers. If they came into the brewery, we would sell them the same beer and we'd have a chat and um, we might show them around or like talk about what's going on in the brewery that day. So if you're ordering online, you're still one of those customers. You're still kind of interested in what we do. And we're interested in, in who our customers are as well. So it's nice to kind of make it a bit more personal. Yeah, awesome. What do you think, and this is a huge question, but we'll, we'll, we'll end it after this. So get gear up for this one. <laughs> what, what do you think the biggest challenges at the moment for the UK craft, being, craft beer industry are? Well, coming on from the canning line, selling cans online uh, is more and more difficult now. It seems like everyone bought a canning line or a small pack solution during lockdown. And now everyone is fighting for the same bottle shops, um, web orders, and then wholesalers and everything else. So it's getting to be that there's a bit of a crunch point now. A lot of the breweries that started around about like the mid 2000s are now of a fairly serious size. And they've got the, the craft image. They're known as being successful, but probably quite small breweries. Actually, they're now not that small, and they're able to kind of leverage a market um, and get in with wholesalers because they've developed those relationships over time. Mm. A lot of the time, they were in there first. And so some of that market is becoming closed off to um, smaller breweries. And I think we'll see those kind of market limits being put on breweries, especially with the new duty rules that are coming in, where you're, the amount of duty you pay rises at a much lower level of production yeah and i think yeah that that kind of route of growth for a brewery is different now and it's going to take a while for that to shake out and people actually work out what their expectations of running a business are now yeah um, and how you kind of capitalize for that and and plan for it your thoughts kelly i agree with paul <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, all, all of that kind of makes sense. I think there are a lot, feel like there's a lot more challenges now than when we started sort of coming up for eight years ago. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot more professionalism in the industry now. And there's a lot, feels like there's a lot fewer chances to kind of have a go and maybe get it not quite right and have another go. And I think in a way, I think that's a shame. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of things, there's a lot of pressure on breweries now to invest a lot of money. Um, everyone's talking about sustainability, uh, but a lot of that conversation is based around buying things and investing money. So um, you're sort of seen as behind the game if you don't have solar panels on, on your roof. That's a big investment. Mm. People are talking about CO2 capture and reuse. That's, you're talking like £100,000 for something like that. When we set up our brewery, it cost us considerably less than £100,000 for the entire setup. Um, and that was a few years ago, but we're talking a different order of magnitude now of things that are just add-ons for your existing business. Um, so that sort of pressure on businesses is very different now. I think also quality of like product you were saying about um, not as much chance to get it wrong, so to speak. 
just bear with the analogy here. So this morning, um, I went to get some breakfast by going down um, Brick Lane. Is that the name of? Not Brick Ooh, Lane. That's know. in London, isn't it? Um, what's the name of it? Duke the... Street. No, there's another one. Bold Street. Street. I know. Bold Bold Street. Bold Street. It was yeah. Bold, not Brick Lane. Bold Street. It's you know it's the cool, the cool one where uh-huh. Bundabust is. Yeah. Um, but I thought on route, I thought you know what, as a as a Beetle nerd. Having never been, I have to go visit where the cabin was. Now, I know it's not in the exact location, all mm-hmm. that jazz, before anyone was all like, oh, it's not the original cabin. I know. <laughs> okay. But, um, like, back then, um, I mean, obviously, the Beatles were pretty successful. I don't want to say from the... <laughs> I don't want to say from the word go. Like, it's like, you know, like, they got turned down by a decade, didn't they? But, like, other than that, like... Um, you know, when they got signed to Parlophone, like they were pretty successful. The word go, but if mm-hmm. they weren't, even with bands back then, that maybe I picked the wrong example. The Beatles, maybe one of those other bands in the sixties, like that, weren't the Beatles, but of that kind of ilk. Uh-huh. Like, even if their first few albums weren't big sellers, like people stuck with them, and the record label more so stuck with them as an investment. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that in music these days. Like it's just like if, it, particularly if you're signed and you're fortunate enough to have a major label to bolster basically your marketing efforts, mm-hmm. you don't have that privilege anymore because people are just ready to move on to the next thing. And I think it's like that in beer. Like whereas, like when you think about cans, like canning was hard to do even three or four years ago if you weren't a, had a big massive canning line, mm. and therefore if your beer was in can, chances are that the quality would be really good but whereas now there are canning solutions even for people like me with my little setup and infinite opportunities to package ship beer <laughs> or, or not even ship beer just like not amazing you know yeah. juicy triple ipa beer and i think that's that's really tough for for breweries like you know well anyone in this room that maybe like does a bit you know experiments with a certain beer style it's maybe not the best beer they've ever made you know but then you've got to sell it anyway because you've made like 10 or 20 hectoliters of the stuff mm-hmm. and most of it is in can you know and it's it's really really tough yeah i think it is it is hard and you know there are there are a lot of breweries out there and yeah that 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 kind of level of competition is is it's difficult you know there's only so many people drinking these kinds of beers and, and obviously I think that market is growing all the time which is great but um, there's also only a limited number of pubs that you can get into and that's you know let's not also start talking about the tide pub market because I don't think we need to do that but you know that is another area that's yeah that's an issue for breweries like us but um, yeah let's not do that now we'll do that another time <laughs> yeah, 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 this time next year we'll yeah, maybe, back up and talk maybe. about the tide, the tide pubs um, but yeah. interesting that when we were thinking about what challenges there are, quality wasn't one of them because it feels like quality is a given now. If like the bare minimum when you start is that your beer is good, yeah. Um, and when we started, that wasn't the case. Uh, you just had to have a big enough brew kit, and the market has moved on now. People's palates have moved on. They know when something's when when something's shit and when it's yeah. not, basically. So you have to be a, a much higher level than you used to well there's a lot of expectation as well if you think of um from your neck of the woods ish a bit further south into the west but if you think of a brewery like verdon 
mm-hmm. you know like i mean they do make some incredible ipas but to, to the um all the ipa bros out there in it man um that were like <laughs> oh just give me the juice like you know like it's it for some consumers in that and let's face it is a niche the craft beer niche mm. their expectation now is that a double ipa or even an IP, a 6.5 percent ipa needs to be like you know cryo pop no offense to yakima chief <laughs> we all love a bit of cryo pop but like cryo pop uh, tastic juice best like yeah. slaps in the face with a pineapple and actually you know i would imagine for a brewery like verdant or verdant you know I'm sure they've thrown loads and loads and loads of research and development into making their beers as juicy as that. To the, well, to the point that they now have their own Lalaman strain of IPA yeah. yeast. And that's got to be really tough for, you know, breweries like yourselves and, like I said, a lot of the other brewers in here that are making really nice beers. But there's the expectation that always, well, but for at least some customers, well, it's not, it's not that. Therefore. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think. There's markets within markets, aren't there? So, mm. you know, you've got Verdant and Dayer and breweries like that. Let's put Left Handed Giant in there as well. Mm-hmm. Big up yeah. our neighbours. And, you know, there are breweries that are doing that. But then there are many, many, many breweries who aren't doing that and aren't really interested in that kind of sector of the market. And we definitely fall into that category. You know, we've never really made, you know, we make IPAs and they're, they're very good, but that's not, kind of our our soul there's more to life than that yeah yeah there's more to life than juicy ipas <laughs> i love it drink a pint of cask <laughs> at the king's head preferably <laughs> well it's, it's been absolutely fantastic to catch up with you both yeah, Just thanks, for, uh, for anyone that wants to buy your beers and visit your pubs like how could you do that um so we have a, a web shop um if you're you know if you're a member of the public and you want to buy our beers online um, goodchemistrybrewing.com if you're in the trade then um, have a look at our website and then drop us an email we would love to supply anybody who you know who wants to buy our beers for, for the trade our pubs are the good measure in north bristol and the king's head in central bristol we sometimes open our tap room in the summer as well so um yeah you know the east bristol brewery trail is running this year the last weekend of april which is the may bank holiday and the last weekend of august yeah, and please, you know, get in, if anyone has any questions or anything, get get in touch through our social media, and we'd love to. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Mm, Thank you yeah. so much for having us. It's really uh, great no, to see awesome. you as well. Yeah, no, the uh, award-winning <laughs> Pop Forward <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.